explicaciones a ti. Yo no te debo, chico. Yo hago con mi cuerpo lo que me dé la gana y tus prejuicios me los paso por la raja, pan. Hola, hola, mi gente. Mi latinidad queer, ¿cómo me les va? Aquí estamos en nuestro segundo <ríe> episodio de nuestro podcast Latinas en Quarantine. Um, It's still a working title. Ajá, pero uh, we're getting there. We can always change it if it doesn't work. Anyways, um, hoy le traemos la continuación del de primer episodio porque en solamente media hora no nos dio tiempo de cubrir todo el tema y sobre lo que es, significa ser gay en la comunidad y en las familias latinas, el tabú que existe detrás de este subject, de, esta, de este tema, right Yeah, Maybe. so we definitely wanted to expands on this idea, not just focus on, you know, things that we've experienced, although everything we talk about always will always be from our specific lens and obviously should not be taken as a, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. Nothing exactly. applies to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But we wanted to broaden it out a little bit and talk about why we think it's so prevalent. And mm -hmm. Latinx culture and in our households and in our community, mm -hmm. despite having some of the most progressive legislation since the 90s, even that's pro gay, pro LGBTQ, mm -hmm. in so many different Latin American countries, we don't see that the legislation is lining up with people's actual attitudes. Mm -hmm. And I think in a few places, the highest murder rates for queer people and trans people mm -hmm. are coming from Latin America. And you just, it's just not matching up, right? So we want to talk about why. Why? Why is it that societies that seem like they're becoming more progressive in actuality and in practice are still not kind of adopting what you would expect? Exacto. ¿Y um, qué crees tú que sea el factor más importante de esto? Well, I think that it's a lot of things, but for me, I think the factor that's most salient and even all the other reasons is this idea of machismo. Mm -hmm. So machismo is something that we are all very, very familiar with. It is prevalent all across Latin America. And unfortunately, it's something that most of us have to deal with mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Machismo is like... A toxic understanding of what it means to be a real man. ¿Cómo se dice machismo en inglés? Um, I don't think that there's an exact translation, but I feel like uh, if we were going to match up concepts, then it would probably be toxic masculinity. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's this really unhealthy, bad understanding of what it means to be a real man that's all predicated on... Proving your masculinity through dominance, mm -hmm. toughness and dominance, dominating. So you have to dominate your home. You have to dominate the workplace. You have to dominate anything. It's basically like a, a pissing contest. You're making sure that everyone knows you are in control. You're in charge. So when I think of 
the way that machismo kind of came into my consciousness, it was growing up hearing stories from family members about things that would happen to them in Puerto Rico. And obviously that's not the only place it happens. It happens everywhere. But I can remember from pretty young being told about how it was acceptable for men to hit women for men to hit their girlfriends, for men to hit their wives, for whatever reason, because they disapproved of what they did, because they were mad, because they were drunk, they were in a bad mood, didn't matter. Giving someone a little smack or a little hit was not a big deal. And not even just men with their spouses, also brothers. A brother would come home and be mad and hit his sister, and that was acceptable. I also think of how a trend seemed to be that Husbands would lock their spouses in their home. Wow. So, you know, you'd wake up, make breakfast. Your husband would leave and he would lock the doors. He would lock the windows. He would lock any access that you might have to the outside world. And you would be stuck there either by yourself or with your children until he came back. Mm. Because that was his way of... Controlling. Controlling, yeah. Mm -hmm. Making sure that he knew exactly what was happening and nothing that he disapproved of was going to happen because you didn't have the option of leaving. Yeah. Right? Or having a life outside of him or connecting with other people. Exactamente. Mm -hmm. I think that things like that, that kind of machismo combined with patriarchy where we're really looking at the nuclear family the nuclear family being, you know, the ideal, stereotypical family that we read about in books, that we see on TV. So you have the father who is straight, of course. He's the head of the household. He is the provider. You have the mom who is also straight. Both are cis. Who is the caretaker. She's the domestic worker. She's respectable. They have their children. And then the children maybe has... You know, they have some pets. They have a fish or something. <laughs> this is what a family is supposed to look like and be. And so you start to get these strong, maybe even a stronger enforcement of these gender roles. When I'm thinking of that, let me see. When I was about seven, I want to say, seven or eight years old, I remember having a conversation with my grandpa who... Lived here already. Uh, he wasn't in Puerto Rico anymore. And I remember him telling me, Samantha, si cuando tú te casas, eres virgen, te voy a pagar la boda. That was him already telling me what was expected of me or what I should do. That was my reward, right? So if I got married as a virgin, I wouldn't have to worry about who was going to pay for the wedding because cool. he was going to do it. Even though he had done so much work to leave behind all the really fucked up things that he experienced as a child in his household, you know, there's still things like that that he was bringing with him and passing on. Obviously, that really started to like mold how it was that I related to my own body and things that I thought were okay and weren't okay too. But I think that, yeah, this idea of like the right kind of family structure. With machismo and all this stuff, and it's really hard to pull them apart even, uh, combined all these really strengthen the case for homophobia. You know, there's this really popular saying 
that I think a lot of people are familiar with. It's typically a father talking about his daughter, and they'll say, Mejor puta que pata. So even though purity is upheld as something that you want to aspire to have, that kind of goes to the wayside when you're comparing it to having a gay woman. So it doesn't matter. Then fine, fuck it. Be promiscuous if you want daughter. Just don't be gay because that's worse. That falls out of line with my expectations of you when it comes to gender and what you're supposed to be doing way more than being someone who's loose. Who is loose? Mm-hmm. Who is loose? <laughs> Does. Uh, which, by the way, I don't think there's any problem with. I think that's beautiful. Do what you want with your body. But just speaking, you know, from this mentality. I can also think of ways that it trickles down where when I'm thinking of my father and when I first came out, I think he struggled with that for a few reasons. But I know one of the things that really stood with him that was bothering him, and I think that made him very sad, was this fear that if I ended up with a woman, she would never be able to provide for me the way that a man would. And she would, need, she would never be able to take care of me the way that a man would. So these deeper sort of lies that we believe that are saying, it's not just that this thing is supposed to look like this. This is like the best case scenario for everybody because there's no way that two women could take care of each other in all the ways that a man and a woman would be able to. Mm-hmm. I think machismo is also really alive and well in women, too. You know, we think of it as this concept that is just kind of for men because they're what machismo is centered around. But there's all these ways that women also buy into these things and believe them and help to replicate the ideas and reify them and pass them on. I'm thinking of when we, not we, I don't have kids, but women raising their children and just watching people, you know, all the things I felt really uncomfortable with. Como por ejemplo, en mi casa, a, a mi primo no lo dejaban hacer ninguna labor doméstica. Y sin embargo, yo como era la, la hembra, me ponían a hacer todo lo doméstico, todo lo que era de la casa. Mi primo solamente, he was only allowed to throw out the garbage. Mm. That's it. Mind you, hoy por hoy, My mi dad. primo es gay <laughs> y yo soy lesbiana. <laughs> y no tiene nada que ver con los roles que jugábamos o que nos obligaban a jugar en la casa. Porque yeah. al final eso no determina absolutamente nada. Absolutely. Stuff like that. Examples of that, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to. I know my grandma told me that, you know, my father, my, my uncles, because she only has two sons, were not allowed to do anything but take the garbage out. That's the only housework that they were allowed to do. Uh, that wasn't the case in my house. But yeah, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Situations where, you know, little boys aren't allowed to play with dolls or Barbies or play with their mom's jewelry or anything like that. Little girls aren't allowed to have trucks or dressed in clothes that seems a little bit too masculine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember getting into an argument with someone in my family because she was criticizing this cartoon who had some like superhuman powers or something. And their costume when they transformed, I think was, I don't really remember, but I think it was like almost like a dress 
or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was something that was seen as feminine. And this family member being very upset because she was like, I don't want my kid watching that and thinking that that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I felt really offended by that. Because I'm like, what are you talking about? But all these ways where we think that if we can control what our children see and if we can control what they play with and we can control the things that they get used to doing, that somehow that translates into being able to control their sexual orientation or even their own understanding of their gender. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many examples we have to see to realize that that has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, just like you were saying, like it's not going to change anything. All it's going to do is create an identity complex and a lot of pain and confusion for the children that, you know, we're assuming you want the best for, that you want to be healthy, productive people. Exactly. So, yes, women are amazing (laughs) at also passing on these sort of machismo beliefs and ideas and policing gender and enforcing these things. They really help to create an environment where homophobia is being bred in the house and transphobia too. For people who are gay, it does create this sort of like confusion, this guilt, a sense of internalized homophobia that can be really, really hard for some people. You know, we know that so many people end up killing themselves. We know that so many people that are trying to hide it and suppress it end up killing or being violent towards other people mm-hmm. to try to, uh, you know, get away from that, mm-hmm. even though that's what they are themselves, right? Yeah. And it all comes from this stuff because as a society and in our home and stuff, we're treating it like it's exactly. a problem. And, you know, now that I'm thinking of that, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the the murders, the trans murders that have been happening in Puerto Rico lately. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Uh, but in February, we yeah. had that one case that went viral because of Bad Bunny. When he was wearing the shirt that said, Mataron a Alexa, no nombre con falda. With Alexa Luciano, who was this 19-year-old trans homeless woman living in Puerto Rico. And as far as I know, the story goes that she was sitting in a restaurant and... She went to use the bathroom. Obviously, she's a woman, so she went to use the woman's bathroom. There was a complaint made. The authorities came. I would bet that the complaint was made by another woman. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, next thing you know, you find her laying on the side of a road, shot to death. Wow. And, you know, unidentified for a while. You have the two cases that were a little bit more recent that just happened in April, where you had, again, two trans women who I actually think lived in New York, but were just visiting Puerto Rico. Leila Belaez, who was 21, and Serena Velasquez, who was 32, my age. I guess they were going to visit their family. Maybe they were vacationing. I don't know. But they end up meeting these two guys, two young guys also. I think they were like, in their early 20s. Wow. And flirting, I would imagine, you know, they were all hanging out. 
And at some point, they must have disclosed that they were trans women to the guys. Next day, they're found burnt to death in a car. And I think that the reason that when we're pushing these things in our households, the reason why it's so, so fucking dangerous is because of things like this, right? So, okay, you have these two guys that were attracted to these two trans women. If after they found out they were trans, that was a problem, then they could have just kept it moving. But no, it was so offensive to them, the idea that they could be attracted to trans women, (laughs) that they had to take it above and beyond. I don't know if they burnt them as a punishment for what they felt like was deceit. I don't know if they did it because they were trying to rid themselves of like the disgust that they felt or the confusion that they felt for this attraction that otherwise they would have thought was impossible, right? Because they don't see themselves as gay, even though that's not what it is, but that's the mentality a lot of people have. I don't know what the fuck it is, but like their own perception of self is so fragile and rooted in these machisto kind of ways that you have to go to that extreme mm-hmm. just to sort of like try to rebalance or recalibrate, you know? Shit is really fucking fucked up. It's crazy. It makes me so mad, but this is constantly what's happening. And then I think stuff like this is especially present in Latin America because we've had so many authoritarian regimes and governments and dictatorships and it's not like here in the U.S. where it's just for four or eight years. So we're talking about places like Chile, Venezuela, Cuba, La República Dominicana, Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador, Haiti, that have had dictatorships for decades who are also reinforcing the idea that this is an illness, that this is a perversion, Mm -hmm. it's disgusting, and so... Their legislation is kind of upholding that. But even if it's not, their acts and the things that they're condemning and not condemning are upholding that. Sí, un ejemplo vivo de eso es Cuba. Mm. En Cuba, el machismo es una cosa que viene, que está engranado en la sociedad. Es un factor, yo diría, más bien histórico. Porque desde el tiempo del colonialismo, Los españoles vinieron a imponer en los indígenas que había en el territorio cubano su cultura. Y para nadie es un secreto que los españoles son religiosos, son católicos. Y en el catolicismo la homosexualidad es vista como un pecado, cosa del demonio. Entonces trajeron toda esa cultura, toda esa identidad machista debido a los preceptos religiosos que tenían. Después en Cuba tuvimos la intervención americana en el que llevaron el machismo a un nivel más alto, ya proponiendo leyes que castigaban a a los homosexuales. Ellos le decían prácticas homosexuales habituales. Mm. Era como decir un un vicio, un vicio. Entonces castigaban a la gente de una manera severa. Eh, Ser homosexual tenía consecuencias legales en esa sociedad. Luego... Llega la revolución cubana, se reestructura todo. Sin embargo, el machismo en el gobierno y en la política se quedó igual. Al punto de que a mediados de la década del 60 se creó una brigada que se llamaba la OMAP, que era una institución que a toda persona que el gobierno cubano denominara como antisocial, 
lo mandaban a campos de concentración de trabajo forzado. Antisociales, para ellos, eran personas, por ejemplo, artistas independientes, intelectuales, uh, personas religiosas y, sobre todo, homosexuales. Mm. Los mandaban a estos lugares fuera de La Habana. De ahí tenían que trabajar 10, 12 horas eh, haciendo trabajo de agricultura en la tierra y todo eso. No tenían comida, el agua era sucia, dormían en celdas de prisión... Y muchos de estos hombres sufrieron ahí maltratos de diferentes tipos, torturas, violaciones, algunos se suicidaron, algunos terminaron en instituciones eh, psiquiátricas porque uh -huh. se volvieron locos de, uh -huh. debido a los traumas horrendos y las cosas horribles que se vieron allí. Y esto duró como unos tres o cuatro años en Cuba. So, era normal que por ser homosexual te mandaran para la UMAP. Era trabajo forzado. Cero condiciones por ser, por ser gay. Muchas de las personas que pasaron eso hoy testifican que eso fue una de las injusticias más grandes que han vivido en su vida solamente por ser quienes eran. Mm. Es una manera de insertarse en la vida de la gente, de controlar, porque eso es lo que el machismo hace. Insertarse en la vida de la gente, controlar, tratar de cambiar tu forma de pensar, tratar de moldearte, de convertirte en un sujeto o en un ciudadano obediente. Uh -huh. Y cualquiera que no caiga dentro de ese molde, pues es considerado un ciudadano de segunda categoría. Así es como trataban a los gays en Cuba y como hoy por hoy los tratan. Mi abuelo tuvo un hermano que era homosexual y lo mandaron para los MAP. Y él a mí me contó las, las cosas horribles que ahí se vivían. Lo más pasó... Pero aún hoy por hoy en la sociedad cubana se ve la intransigencia con la comunidad queer y gay. Mm. Porque, por ejemplo, hace unos años atrás se hicieron ajustes, se creó, se hicieron ajustes, no se creó una nueva constitución que estuviera más acorde a los tiempos que se están viviendo ahora en Cuba, en la que en esa constitución una de las cosas que, que iban a poner era el derecho del matrimonio, al matrimonio gay. Okay. Sin embargo, cuando la, pro, la propusieron y la llevaron a cabo para aprobación, esa ley desapareció. Nunca la llegaron a poner, nunca la llegaron a incluir en la Constitución y por ende no fue aprobada. Hicieron incluso service en el pueblo para preguntarles a la gente qué creían sobre eso, si lo aprobaban, si creían. Mm. Mucha de la gente dieron el sí. Mm. Eh, increíblemente en el pueblo se se recibió una respuesta bastante positiva. La gente yeah. estaba abierta a esa posibilidad. Pero, sin embargo, a la hora de llevarlo a cabo, de desapareció. Mm. Luego, ese mismo año, el, la, el gobierno decidió cancelar eh, la marcha de, por el orgullo gay. Una marcha que en Cuba el gobierno todos los años hace para promover el respeto a la comunidad gay. Y ese año la cancelaron. You think somebody came out? I don't know. <laughs> like somebody like no sé in the royal family like came out and they were pissed and they were like fuck everything. No sé, sinceramente no sé. La persona, eh, 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 la institución en Cuba gay se llama CNSX. La persona que dirige el CNSX mm -hmm. es Mariela Castro, que es la hija de Raúl Castro. Y dicen las malas lenguas la gente, ¿no? Que ella es gay. Mm. Tiene, ella tiene hijos y todo. Me parece que está casada, pero dicen la gente que ella es gay. Okay. Yo no sé. Pero yo lo que sé es que ese año la, la CNSX decidió no hacer la, la marcha por el orgullo gay. Entonces los gays dijeron, 
bueno, ya que el gobierno no nos va a dar la marcha que siempre nos dan, nosotros uh -huh. vamos a crear una. Pero como todo en Cuba es regido, organizado y, y llevado a cabo por el gobierno, ¿qué sucedió? La policía llegó a la marcha, lo, lo, hicieron la marcha, la marcha se llevó a cabo, la hicieron, la policía llegó a la marcha y a piedra y a palo recogieron a todo el mundo y se lo llevaron preso. Entonces, hoy por hoy todavía estamos viendo en la sociedad cubana los rastros del machismo. El machismo ha lacerado tanto la identidad, ha hecho que sea normal tratar a un gay de una manera irrespetuosa, condenarlo al ostracismo de una manera discriminatoria. Y es así, hasta ahora no se ha hecho nada, no se ha dado ningún paso de avance para mejorar eh, la manera en la que se acepta o se ve eh, el ser gay en, en Cuba. Y ya te digo, con tan, han habido muchos cambios, eh, primero con el colonialismo, después con los norteamericanos, ahora con el comunismo y Fidel, y sin embargo, ese factor se ha quedado como mismo uh -huh. estado desde hace 400 años atrás. Uh -huh. Y trae resultados eh, irreversibles, porque a la gente se le quedan en la memoria los horrores esos que se vivieron uh -huh. de ser gay, Tenía consecuencias legales. Uh -huh. En mi familia no son, no son homofóbicos. Sin embargo, el problema que tiene mi familia más grande con, con, con mi sexualidad es que tienen miedo a que yo sea condenada, uh -huh. a que yo sea abusada, uh -huh. a que yo sea vista de una manera eh, despectiva. Uh -huh. ¿Entiendes? No es ni siquiera el tabú de que, ay, eres gay, un tabú. No, es por, más bien por el miedo. A mi mamá, a mis tíos, le preocupa más eh, las consecuencias que me va a traer ser gay que el que yo sea gay, ¿entiendes? Porque se acuerdan de lo que significaba y de lo que significa todavía hoy por hoy ser gay en Cuba. Significa uh -huh. básicamente ser un, una persona que, está, eh, que, que es tratada como un ciudadano de segunda categoría, uh -huh. de segunda clase. That makes a lot of sense too. And I bet there's a bunch of people that feel that way who don't realize that by feeding into that, what they're actually doing is hurting you personally mm -hmm. and, you know, making you feel even more ostracized. Exactamente. Exactamente, porque tú, uno se cree que... Uno se cree, no, tu familia está supuesto a ser tu escudo, mm -hmm. está supuesto a ser tu refugio. Y cuando tú no recibes la protección o el apoyo, no la protección, sino el apoyo 100% de ellos, entonces tú te quedas como, bueno, ¿y de quién? Uh -huh. Si estas personas son las que más me aman en el mundo y no me están dando su apoyo, su aceptación en 100%, entonces, ¿quién me lo va a dar? Uh -huh. Uno se siente medio que abandonado. Yeah. ¿no? Y bueno, es así. Y hasta ahora yo he tenido la suerte de, de ser feliz, de aceptarme como soy, de ahora estoy contigo, nos va muy bien. Pero hay quienes no han tenido esa suerte y han vivido las injusticias más grandes que se puedan cometer en contra de un ser humano mm. solamente por querer ser quienes son. Y eso es algo imperdonable. Y bueno, quiero dedicar este podcast de hoy a la memoria de mi tío Luis Torriente, del cual les hablé anteriormente y a quien irónicamente llamaban macho. Que Dios <risa> lo tenga en su santa gloria. Yes, I hope that his spirit was with us today. And I think that's a wrap. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we did it. Episode two. <laughs> Thank you so, so much Muchas for gracias, joining mi gente. us.
We hope y'all have beautiful days and are finding ways to stay sane. Bye. Bye.